0: This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. As we get closer to a vote on the Indigenous voice to Parliament, the No campaign has gone on the attack...
1: ...over the voice getting personal.
0: Targeting individuals, including Thomas Mayo and Teela Reid. She sees the voice as, quote, the first step in redistributing
2: power in this nation. Peter
0: Dutton has accused Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney of purposefully misleading the public.
3: This continuous misleading of the Australian public by Minister Burney is only making a bad situation worse for the yes case.
0: In response, Burney called Dutton a bully and lashed out at the No campaign for importing Trump-style politics to Australia. Do not let them divide us. Do not let them divide us. But will this politics of division work? And what can the Yes campaign do to combat it? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisha about the division driving the No campaign. It's Friday the 14th of July. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike.
3: Hey, how's it going?
0: The Guardian has published a series of really interesting stories this week about the No campaign for The Voice. Lenore, what do people need to know?
1: Yes, these stories sort of drew out a few interesting points. One is the very deep links and connections between the Conservative Christian lobby, both in terms of personnel and the kinds of service providers and people that they're engaging in the campaign. There's nothing improper about that. I just think it's really interesting, the number and extent of the connections. There's also the very American-style tactics that they are running and the fact that they are running apparently quite contradictory messaging on different social media channels, which I think is, again, a a quite American-style tactic of campaigning. So there's a number of points that have been drawn out in those stories that I think are, are just interesting.
0: Who are some of the lobby groups that they've engaged, Lenore? Well,
1: look, they've got two partner organisations managing their Facebook pages. One is Whitestone Strategic. The other is a US headquartered marketing and fundraising firm that, you know, its main aim is to help Christian nonprofit missions fulfil their ministry and mission. That one's called RJ Dunham & Co., And there's both of them are sort of linked in with conservative Christian causes in Australia. RJ Dunham is based in Texas. You know, its previous work has been with organisations that are trying to encourage women not to have abortions and the like. So these are very capable, you know, very skillful campaigning organisations, and that's where they're, those kind of conservative Christian causes is where a lot of their previous work has been.
0: And what do we know about the different kinds of Facebook pages and strategies they're using, Mike?
3: So we know that they're running essentially three or at least three different kinds of messaging on Facebook.
1: And three different sites, right? Three dif-
3: Yeah. One is the sort of conventional no campaign from what we would call the right, I guess, that matches up with the arguments that... Peter Dutton and coalition leaders have been, have been making. A Canberra voice, uh, it's a grouping of 24 elites who aren't going to represent the views of
0: Indigenous women and elders.
3: They're saying that the voice is a dangerous step that goes too far in empowering, you know, it's like they're not using the, the rhetoric anymore about it being a third chamber to parliament, but they're saying it gives too much weight to a particular group that it does not give to other groups. Corporate elites who are out there at the moment telling Australians how they should vote. Then there's a, in quotes, neutral site which called Referendum News, which purports to be straight news about the campaign, but in fact is very slanted towards the No campaign, but gives the readers the impression that it's just reporting actual news on what's going on in the campaign. And then perhaps most interestingly, there's a third one, which gives a view that people might associate with Senator Lydia Thorpe in particular, which is that the Voice does not go nearly far enough in furthering indigenous rights and moving towards treaty and the truth commission they want to go they want to go much further and much faster so entirely that one and the first one, are entirely contradictory messaging to different, and they're obviously sending them to different groups.
1: And when our reporter, Josh Butler, sort of asked them that, like, how can you send different messages to different people that are entirely contradictory, they kind of dodged the question. They said, well, the messaging on that not enough site, the sort of left-wing or progressive site, if you want to use those terms, wasn't misleading because the people that they were quoting did say the things that they were saying they had said but they didn't actually address the question of how you can argue two different things at the same time
3: and i think that that's kind of the point of the reporting is to just shed throw some light on this campaigning because obviously it's fair enough to make arguments against the voice some people are opposed to the voice for
1: Lots of different reasons. Quite, lots of different yeah. reasons,
3: some of which are very legitimate, others less so. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with making any argument you like against the voice, but it's clearly disingenuous to make completely contradictory arguments against the voice. And similarly, with the links to the American conservative Christian groups... You just wonder what the connection is with, A, with Christianity in general. Like they're not making arguments based on religion against the voice because there aren't any really. Mm. And it has nothing to do with abortion. It's, you know, where is that coming from? It's just a really interesting look under the hood at what is going on in the voice campaign. It's the kind of thing that people should know about when they're thinking about their vote.
1: Lenore, it's been very
0: negative, hasn't it?
1: Some of it has, yes. I mean, there was one story recently which really hit the headlines because the uh, No campaign published a cartoon on an ad in the Finn Review which depicted Yes campaigner Thomas Mayo and the independent, the Teal MP from Western Australia, Kate Cheney, and her father, who happens to be the West Farmers boss, Michael Cheney. The West Farmers is giving. Uh, money to the Yes campaign. Kate Chaney supports the Yes campaign. It was a very racist, or it was perceived as a very racist depiction of Thomas Mayo. The Fin Review inbe- eventually said they shouldn't have published it, and you know, and retracted it. Advance stood by that ad. They didn't take a backwards step. It was clearly coordinated in with the opposition leader Peter Dutton's messaging because he was saying he, you know, he didn't want to go to Bunnings or Coles, the companies owned by West Farmers, and have some of his hard-earned cash, you know, end up going to the activist CEO and the activist yes campaign. But that was the bit of the campaign that kind of hit the headlines. But really, there has been a lot of very, very negative very targeted negative campaigning against specific individuals in the yes campaign, particularly Thomas Mayo, Taylor Reed, Marcia Langton, taking quotes that they have actually said. Uh, but on occasions very clearly out of context and turning them into sort of an ominous example of how these Indigenous activists will be sort of getting too much power, that, you know, that they're really communists, that they're really out to exert much more power than they're letting on when they're talking about having a voice to parliament. You know, it's a very targeted, personalised, negative campaign.
3: And also some of those comments... Or well, uh, many of those comments are completely dissociated from the arguments specifically around the act, the voice itself. You know, these people hold views on a variety of issues, which they're perfectly yeah. entitled to do on Australia Day or whatever else the, mm. the issue might be. Yeah. They can hold those views, but they're not making those arguments. Mostly, at least in the clips that they're being used by the No campaign, they're not saying. The voice will allow us to prosecute these arguments. They just happen to hold those views. They're also campaigning for the voice. There's no necessary connection connection. between the two.
1: And there's also this contention from the no campaign that they're somehow elites, Mm. academic elites, Indigenous elites. It's interesting because the definition of elite just seems to be anybody who disagrees with the no campaign because apparently Warren Mundine or Senator Jacinda Price aren't elite. Um, And I think I would really commend a piece that our Indigenous Affairs editor, Lorena Allen, wrote at the weekend, which really takes apart this argument about Indigenous elites and that, you know, any Indigenous person who has somehow, despite everything and despite in many, in the cases of many of these people being dubbed elite, very difficult starts in life, have managed to succeed and you know, hold a degree or become a professor or, you know, succeed in life, that that's an achievement against the odds. And yet they're being now being sort of taken down for it or derided for it or, you know, the suggestion being that because they have in some sense succeeded, they shouldn't be listened to and how insidious that is. I think it is insidious and I think it is also Kind of hypocritical to only double elites for one side of the mm-hmm. argument, but that is the argument that's being used by the No campaign and also by the Coalition.
3: Mm. Started with the it was the Canberra Voice, Dutton, Peter mm-hmm. Dutton tried out that line quite a bit, and then more recently he's. Added the elites line.
1: And that is Trumpian, right? Like that's straight out of the sort of Trump handbook.
3: It's something that's coming out of the centre from people who are better than you, who know better than you, who are calling you racist or whatever. You know, this is the impression. They don't always say it in in so many words, but that's the impression they're trying to leave with people who are going to be voting.
0: So what's behind this? Do we know anything about why these organisations are all campaigning in this manner?
1: Look, I mean, you can't go to motivation directly and, you know, I'm sure many of them are campaigning in this manner because they really vehemently, you know, believe in a yes or a no vote as being the right thing for the country. But it is quite possible that there are people using the debate for their own purposes. You know, it would be a very handy vehicle for political list building and database building if you were so inclined. It would be a very handy vehicle for building an audience as a media company if you were going to sort of, you know, very strongly associate with one side of the debate. I think there's lots of things that would play into it as well as a heartfelt view that one or other point of view is the right one for the country.
0: It worked for Trump the first time round. It worked for Brexit. But can it work in Australia?
3: I think there are a lot of reasons that this particular campaign is different, perhaps unique. A referendum is completely different from a federal election. It's obviously a clear yes or no vote. You're not voting on any policies across a wide range of areas. There is compulsory voting, but in a federal election, preferential voting also makes those choices much more nuanced. And it's also much easier for the no campaign in particular to kind of tear down the proposition to sow doubt among the voters just by playing on ignorance essentially not making any bones about that if you don't know enough about it vote no their long-standing argument is the government hasn't provided enough information enough detail about how it's going to work etc etc so they're, they're almost encouraging people not to be informed about it and therefore they should vote no. These tactics are much more likely to work in a simple referendum. And I think we should point out it's not the first time this has been developed in Australia. We've saw it in the the same-sex marriage plebiscite as well to some extent. This is where they kind of tried out a lot of these things for the first time. Some of the same groups were involved. That was unsuccessful. Most recent elections, it's also been unsuccessful from the coalition point of view specifically. So there's no reason to think necessarily that this is going to be successful in this referendum either. It's not a done deal that they're going to win by any means. It's just this is a good opportunity to to run this kind of campaign.
1: But at the same time I do feel that the tactics are sort of outflanking the Yes campaign mm. so far and that the Yes campaign hasn't really yet found a good way to respond to those kind of tactics. I mean the Yes campaign has always said it wants to run a sort of a grassroots campaign, a positive emotional campaign through community groups and town hall meetings and word of mouth and messages of goodwill. And that's fine, but actually when you look around it feels like the no campaign's emotional campaign of sowing doubt is kind of getting more cut through and I understand that the Yes campaign doesn't want to get bogged down rebutting every false claim or responding to sort of bad faith demands for detail on every front, but I feel like it risks leaving those claims uncontested, sort of not addressed. It leaves a kind of void and the No campaign is coming in and filling that void And it does feel sometimes like the Yes campaign is a bit scared to stand up for what it's saying. It's trying to argue on the one hand, this is really important and we really need to do it. It's going to make a really big difference. And then on the other hand, it says, don't worry, it's not going to do very much. It's not going to be able to make much of a difference. And it's like you do go, how can both those things be True. And I think one example of not standing up was when the last parliamentary sessions were on and the coalition was asking again and again and again, will the voice give advice on this? Will the voice give advice on that? And eventually, Linda Burney kind of snapped and she said, look, it won't be giving advice on parking tickets and it won't be giving advice on Changing Australia Day and I will not be giving advice on all the ridiculous things the other side's coming up for. And at that point, you could see the No campaign going, "Uh uh-huh, lots of people have said it will be giving advice on Australia Day. And when you think about it, of course, changing the day of Australia Day wouldn't be the first order of business. But A, it's not up to a minister to say whether or not it can give advice. It can give advice on what it wants to if it's successful. And B, if we got to the point, not as a first order of business, but well down the track of changing Australia Day, of course the voice should give advice on it. Like, they're a stakeholder. Why wouldn't they? Why shouldn't they? So it was like this inability or unwillingness to to really stand up for it and argue the case. And I feel like the no campaign is just mm. filling that void.
3: Mm. So, yeah, Linda Burney last week at the, at the press club showed more of that frustration when she specifically called out the no campaign for indulging in Trump-style campaigning.
0: It is post-truth. And its aim is to polarise. Its aim is to sow division in our society by making false claims.
3: She was quite strongly attacked by many people, particularly on Sky After Dark. Peter Credlin and Andrew Bolt had a go at her very, you know, familiar terms <laughs> for referring to Trump and uh, urging her to focus on on the issues at hand, which is kind of pretty rich. But so have so far been trying to pre- present the facts as they see them and have a kind of authentic <laughs> campaign with integrity and just, you know, here are our ideas, we'd like you to vote for them, here's here's why we think they're good kind of way. But you'd think they're, they're, they must be having a, a think about what else they can do to counter that stuff that's coming up.
0: This can't be easy for Indigenous Australians. Do, do we know how this is affecting them? I think in a really profound way.
1: I think Indigenous Australians are really bearing the brunt of this. You know, if you take one look at social media, you can see that it's unleashing some pretty horrendous racism and I think it's going to be a really difficult time for Indigenous Australians the next six months, really difficult.
0: So Australia is being asked to make a really important choice and obviously we are the media. It's our job to play a role in that. But Lenore, how do we combat this misinformation? And uh, what what role do you see the media as playing? Um, Look, it's
1: tricky because we do have a responsibility to run arguments from all sides of this debate. You know, that is our job. But it isn't always a he said, she said story. And there's, you know, legitimate points of views. But sometimes there are people saying things that are wildly out of context or are you know, sort of disingenuous, and I think it's our job to call that out as well. For example, highlighting the fact that one campaign is running two completely contradictory arguments at the same time targeting different groups. I mean, I think that's a legitimate role for the media as well. I mean, come close to the vote, you know, most organisations will probably editorialise one way or the other. In our reporting, it's important to represent all views, But it's also important to put them in proper context and analyse them, which I guess is what we're trying to do today.
0: Next, a new start at 60 and our favourite time of the year. Hey, Laura murphy here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what is it for you this week? So he ran this story about a bloke who was the
1: CEO of a theatre company. He's now, I think, 78, but about 15 years ago he was flying home from a beloved uncle's funeral and he felt all burnt out and so he decided to quit his job and become a truckie. And all these years later he's still very happily a truckie. But what fascinates me about it is how many people wanted to read this story. Like, you know, more than half a million people around the world were reading this story and reading it all the way to the end and it's part of a series that we're running called A New Start After 60. And those stories always get well read. So I don't know. I think older people are like really up for a change or something.
3: Well, I mean, I... you do want to be a truckie? I had no, I don't want to be a truckie. <laughs> I had chosen the same story. <laughs> um, Maybe I mean, we could drive trucks together, mate. He didn't just want to be a truckie, he wanted to drive the biggest road trains possible to drive in Australia, which are huge as people who've driven in the outback would know. But I mean, yeah, I think the thing is people just love the idea, especially people who have busy, stressful, time consuming jobs, time intensive jobs. They just love the idea of just saying, sorry, I'm not going to swear, but (laughs) I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to do something that I really love. IA having that thing that they really love, B, being able to actually get a job in that and actually also really loving it when they actually do it. And in this guy's case, that seems to have been the case. But there are also some really great quotes in the story. When he first applied, they said, um, your CV doesn't say anything about truck driving. <laughs> <laughs> he was already 60 at that point. <laughs> um, I
0: just can't believe that driving a road train would be not stressful. Mm. And he does
1: it 12 hours a day for like two weeks at a time or something and then then has a week off, off, like seven days a week, 12 hours a day. This doesn't seem great to me, but he loves it, so he's happy. The
3: payoff line is also great in the story where obviously I massively identify with this, but he says he's such an optimistic guy. He says, like, the glass is always half full with me and there's a waiter coming with another bottle.
0: (laughs) 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 I really like that. Well, I'm a bit disappointed neither of you mentioned the crows and magpies using anti bird spikes to build their nests. <laughs> uh, you know, a classic guardian bird story. And And good on them. Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> and later this year On the second of October, you too can vote on what your favorite bird is in our uh, Guardian Birdlife Australia, bird of the year poll. Start thinking about who you're going to support. Go gang, gang,
3: count for for crows. Well, not not UK, not, not UK European crows. crows. Well, I anyway. should say
0: they're UK magpies as yes. well. But we all know Australian magpies are extremely clever <laughs> and <laughs> often win bird of the year. So start yeah. thinking of your bird. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, gabs Thank you, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannan. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full story will be back on Monday where Laura Murphy-Oates will be talking to you about PWC. See you then.